Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Policy Pack Software, now part of Networks, is where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-home-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. By far the biggest news to me this week was the fact that Netrix have acquired PolicyPack software. The official statement about the acquisition suggests PolicyPack complements the Netrix product portfolio by extending data security and control over privileged accounts to desktops, thereby further supporting the modern hybrid and remote workforce. The PolicyPack desktop management platform enables organizations to manage and secure in-office and remote endpoints, including their browsers and applications, remove local admin rights to facilitate implementation of a zero-trust model, prevent ransomware and other malware infections, block threats on USB sticks, DVDs, and CD-ROMs, simplify Windows 10 and group policy management, and also achieve compliance with regulatory requirements according to their statement. While I initially saw the headline, I was a little bit worried. I've had the pleasure of using networks in a few environments that I've worked in, mainly for Active Directory auditing purposes like finding the source of account locks, looking up AD properties, and more. It could be useful for seeing like trends and maybe spotting anomalies from a security perspective too. But based on the nature of my usage of their products, I had figured that they were probably attracted to Policy Pack due to the least privilege manager feature, which certainly the lead of their statement does suggest that's a big part of it. But I thought that may mean that perhaps they would only focus on that element of the product and not maintain the overall group policy management. But this statement suggests otherwise, as they mentioned, simplify Windows 10 and group policy management. And to me, that's awesome because once you've used Policy Pack for designing and creating your group policy objects, you won't want to go back to the Microsoft way of doing things. The statement also claims Netrix has more than 10,000 customers. So lucky those customers when they get the awesomeness that is Policy Pack. I'd just like to wish Jeremy and the entire team at Policy Pack, who have been so awesome to me and have been a great support for this podcast, a very hearty and deserved congratulations. This is well deserved. On last week's episode of the podcast, I had mentioned that Apple would be holding an event this week and they were likely to announce the new range of MacBooks. Well, that did indeed happen, and I think the big story here, at least in my opinion, is the new M1 Pro and M1 Max processors and their specs. So the M1 Pro is the lesser of the two, 
with a 10 core CPU, 16 core GPU versus the Max's 10 core CPU, but 32 core GPU. Some very impressive stats like 200 gigabit per second memory bandwidth for the Pro, 400 gigabit per second memory bandwidth for the Max. They talked about the chip itself and the billions of transistors, like 33.7 billion transistors on the Pro, 57 billion transistors on the Max, and more. Um, it's funny, I read a story uh, talking about how this was like the most underwhelming announcement that Apple has done or has made, uh, which I actually disagree. So I have a 2013 MacBook Pro and it's really been on its last legs for about two years. I've been wanting to upgrade, but I've held off because I went and I tried the previous year's MacBook Pros and I didn't like the keyboard. The touchpad wasn't as good. There hadn't been that many great advancements on like display and stuff like that. And they also lost a few ports and things that I actually cared about. But in this one, not only have they got their own great new processors, they've also brought back things like the HDMI port. There's an SD card slot. They've got MagSafe connectivity for charging. They got rid of the touch bar, which I felt was a bit of a gimmick. I know people who have the MacBook Pros with the touch bar and they actually like it, but it's not something that would have convinced me to say accept the crappier keyboard just to get the touch bar, you know? One notable quirk for me, at least in these MacBook Pros, is the notch on the top of the screen or on top of the display. It's pretty annoying. It looks like the notch that's on an iPhone, but on an actual MacBook Pro. Uh, that kind of sucks. Uh, it is, I believe, for housing the web camera, which finally in 2021 is going to be a full HD 1080p. There were some other announcements like the stupid HomePod things, the speakers, the AirPods, which I know some people in enterprise like to use those for um, work calls and stuff like that. So if you're interested in that, I'll share a link to all of the announcements. Really, I suggest you check out MKBHD's reviews. That's my go-to for a lot of this stuff. And you can find out more there. On the recent episode of the podcast, I reported a story about performance issues for some AMD Ryzen customers on Windows 11 with an up to 15% performance hit. If you're one of those affected, you're in luck. It seems there has been a fix delivered relatively quickly via build 22000.282, which fixes an L3 caching issue that could affect the performance of devices with those processors running the RTM release of Windows 11. The new build doesn't address all of the problems, but it does address some of the problems, so it should lead to performance improvements. And speaking of Microsoft performance improvements, Microsoft's RDP short path for managed networks is now generally available. This feature enables the client and session hosts to establish a direct and secure connection using a high-performant and reliable UDP-based transport. So, very important for those Azure Virtual Desktop customers. Microsoft have said that this release is part of a series of RDP transport improvements, and stay tuned for more previews and releases coming soon. So, pretty cool stuff, and I guess we'll have to keep an eye out. And kind of in the same wheelhouse, 
there's a new Azure Active Directory role available for Windows 365 administrators. This appears to be a Windows 365 administrator role, and you can assign this in Azure Active Directory right away. It is available right now and works with both the Windows 365 Enterprise and Business SKUs. From this week, you can now optimize your Azure Synapse costs with Azure Synapse pre-purchase plans that are now generally available across all global regions except China. Microsoft claimed that you can now save up to 28% on your Azure Synapse workloads with a new pre-purchase plan versus the old pay-as-you-go pricing. So if you're new to Azure Synapse, it simplifies your analytics workloads by providing data preparation, data warehousing, and big data analytics in a single secure workspace. This new pre-purchase plan differs from the reserved capacity pricing option in that it allows you to pre-purchase Synapse commit units that can be used at any time across any workload. This includes data integration using code-free data flows, big data and machine learning with Apache Spark, data lake exploration using serverless SQL, and data warehousing with Microsoft SQL Engine. They say Azure Synapse pre-purchase plans makes it possible to accelerate deployment timelines by providing a single consumption model that powers a wide range of tasks for each of your data teams. And this means accessing discounted prices to enable collaboration and insights and insights while maintaining workload flexibility. To start a pre-purchase plan, you can go to the reservation section of the Azure portal and finish the process within minutes. There is now GA support in Power Apps for Dataverse large files and image data types. It will support files up to 128 megabytes and images up to 30 megabytes. So it seems maybe like a small feature, but I'm sure for people who are into Power Apps, previous limitations around images and thumbnails for their little tile icon thingy for their Power Apps may have been frustrating. And now it seems there's going to be greater flexibility. This next story inspired many, many memes this week. A class action lawsuit has been brought in New York against Canon for their practice of preventing customers from scanning on their 3-in-1 and 4-in-1 devices when the printer ink is low or empty. ZDNet reported that a Canon representative tried to explain, quote, these precautions are in place to prevent damage to the printer from occurring if printing with no ink is attempted. The printer uses the ink to cool the printhead during the printing process. If no ink is present, the printhead could be damaged or the unit would require service, end quote. And ZDNet rightly points out that answer has nothing related to scanning. But the article also points out that Canon are not the only manufacturer who requires ink when scanning or faxing. This is the first manufacturer to be taken to court over this. And so far, the court has yet to take action on the lawsuit. And Canon has yet to reply. If the case does move forward, the plaintiff is asking for a jury trial. Considering how people feel about printers, if nothing else, this would be really interesting to hear what the excuse is. I look forward to hearing more about it. Vice had a pretty crazy story this week. 
The story goes that a 26-year-old woman who used to work for the Melbourne Flight Training School resigned from her position of flight operations manager at the end of November in 2019 after the company had fired her father. A few months after she resigned, it alleged that she hacked into the systems of her former employer and deleted and changed records. The company noticed some maintenance information related to the planes had been removed. Essentially, planes that were not safe for flight were suddenly appearing as though they had no problems at all and were fine for flying. Vice reports that police investigators obtained information related to the IP address used to access the account and found that it belonged to the accused. The investigators also subpoenaed Google for information about a Gmail account used to log into the Flight Circle app and found that the email address belonged to the accused's family. It was a family email account, which <laughs> by itself is kind of weird for an entire family to share an email account, but whatever. Um, it is claimed that they have no idea how she got a password to access the systems. The accused has been charged with a count of fraudulent use of a computer and two counts of unauthorized access to a computer system or network. Remember how I covered the fact that a TV channel in Australia was taken off the air by ransomware? Well, the record.media reported this week that the pretty massive Sinclair Broadcasting Group was hit with ransomware. Now, as the different departments of Sinclair's IT network were interconnected through the Active Directory domain, the ransomware impacted local TV stations, taking many off the air. However, the attack did not reach the part of the Sinclair broadcast system called the Master Control, which allowed the company to replace the scheduled local programming on the affected channels with the national feed, allowing some channels to at least remain on the air. The report states Sinclair forced password resets back in July within their organization after a security incident. So I guess you could speculate whether or not this could be related and they've actually been in there for a while, but I'm sure that will come out in the wash. When discussing the attack, a representative stated, quote, While the company is focused on actively managing the security event, the event has caused, and may continue to cause, disruption to part of the company's business, including certain aspects of its provision of local advertisements by its local broadcast stations on behalf of its customers, end quote. At the time of this recording, it was suggested they were almost fully recovered, so it certainly could have been far worse. What data may have been breached and how long an attacker was on their network is likely to be something that will come to light in the future, I'd assume. And now some quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week. The in-browser VS Code tool that was unveiled months ago is now officially in preview. So if you'd like to work in a browser for your coding and just work on the go, that is now an option. Doesn't matter what device, as long as you've got a browser. The preview of the Windows subsystem for Android is now also available in preview. This was shown off during the Windows 11 launch announcements, but was notably absent when the new operating system launched. So now it's at least available in preview. 
just as I recorded last week's episode, the CIS Internals anniversary event was wrapping up. Something I missed in my reporting at the time is, is the fact that now with CIS Internals, you can avail of auto updates by installing via the store. So if you install the CIS Internal tools via the store, they should auto update in future. And also unveiled was that you can install the tools now via Windows Package Manager too, which has a really great simple update commandlet for keeping those up to date as well. So you could just run that commandlet as well on a schedule if you wanted. Not necessarily enterprise related for this last story, but hey, plenty of you travel for work. Ars Technica reported this week that the NHS COVID-19 app went offline for several hours, which caused travel woes as people could not access their proof of vaccinations in order to travel during the outage. So the lesson that I took from this is that it would be a good idea to grab a screenshot or picture of your COVID-19 vaccination cert and or keep a printed copy too, assuming that is an option. I know the EU digital COVID cert is available for print. I assume others are too. And now a hot job. Rue Campbell of Practical365 tweeted this week that he is, quote, looking for a Microsoft security fanatic in the UK or Ireland to join his team of consultants and architects in a pure play security company that has consistently won Microsoft Partner of the Year, including globally. He says if you're interested in the position, to DM him on Twitter, and his handle is RuCam365, which is R-U-C-A-M-365, and I'll share a link to the tweet with this episode, which is episode 199 on 5 under reference links with this episode. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. So being honest, there are a whole lot to cover this week, so I'm going to try and be as concise for each as possible, which means I'm not going to be going into much detail and telling you all that much about them. might be frustrating, but I'll give you a quick teaser, and I'll share the links to everything that I mention here on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 199. But let's get going. First up, Martin Thurkelson had another great blog post this week. I believe I covered some of his other blog posts last week. But this week, his blog is on how to get started with Windows 365. So if you want to check out Cloud PC, this could help you along the way on your journey. My buddy Trenton Ty shared a great thread on Twitter this week where he showed a trick for changing sizing and resolution in your Citrix sessions. Now, I won't give away the trick, but it involves some file renaming and other shenanigans. So if you're frustrated when you open up maybe like your published desktop session and you have to adjust things, you don't have to be frustrated anymore with Trenton's great tip. Also this week, I saw that Carlo Costanzo shared a blog on how you can dynamically intercept and modify ICA files with a lightweight tool. So with this, you could essentially change the resolution via this lightweight tool and it will intercept and update ICA files. Now this is different to how Trenton is doing it, so I suggest you check out both. Chloe Condon had a really great live stream during the week 
that is now available to watch back on demand where she talks about working on your resume. So if you're working on your resume or CV, because there are a whole lot of jobs and there's huge demand right now, check out this valuable resource. Wendy Gay and Colm Govan had a double header this week. They published new blogs on Citrix PVS on Azure and on the topic of MSIX and MSIX App Attach with Citrix Cloud. Their blog, citrixseed.wordpress.com, is fast becoming a must-follow for those in the Citrix space. As Citrix employees, they obviously get earlier access to new products and features than the rest of us. So when they are publicly announced, this blog tends to be the first with some really good technical content as they can turn it out so quickly. So be sure to follow their blog. Jen Gentleman shared a small but cool Windows 11 feature you should know about. You can now scroll up and down when adjusting audio from the taskbar. So a very small but useful feature. And speaking of Windows 11, Peter van der Voud shared a blog post about customizing the Windows 11 start menu. So some of it seems kind of similar to how you do it in Windows 10. And I hope in future, hopefully knock on wood, I'll be able to continue to use Policy Pack for doing this because I really dislike the JSON approach. But if you're not fortunate enough to have access to Policy Pack and it's out of your reach right now, then this is going to be a really important blog post for you. This week on Twitter, I stumbled across a great looking virtual desktop optimization tool. This is a PowerShell script and it looks mostly Windows oriented, so it should work no matter if you're using Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktop, VMware Horizon, Parallels, Azure Virtual Desktop, or pretty much anything. The script contains potential settings that reduce compute activity and thus increase user density per host, and it also now supports Windows 11. The settings available within the script are those contained in a Microsoft recommendations guidance. So it's not just some random stuff. It is based off of best practices. Katie Nicholson, who got a mention on last week's episode of the podcast, was back as she shared a bunch of really great articles that she created on MEM. And just like she informed me on something that I need to consider for my future sessions last week with her tip, this week in her tweet... She shortened all her links, so she was able to share multiple blog articles in a single tweet, which is something that I also need to start doing. So, Katie, thank you. Your organization of professionalism (laughs) is inspiring me to get my act together. Emmanuel Baralesi shared a cool REST API this week for dynamically pulling in a weather forecast. So last week I was playing around with a REST API as part of my work. So when I see these REST API calls and stuff like that, they catch my eye now. I know Martin's got some really great stuff around APIs as well. So with that and my interest in RPAs over the last couple of years, I'm hoping to dive more into automation and uh, programming and using APIs and stuff like that. So great content. The awesome Richard Dalton shared his Word Scrabble game built in Python this week. I think it was Python. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm reading the script here. I'm trying to remember if it was Python or PHP. I think it was Python anyway. But Richard is a teacher of programming or coding. So this could be a really useful resource to reverse engineer and maybe teach yourself scripting with too. 
or just have fun playing with the game. And finally, the second ever cloud paging user group meeting will be taking place on November 5th. The meeting will take place at 2.30 p.m. GMT. It will last an hour and a half, and it'll be on the topic of different methods for deploying your cloud paging apps. So we'll be looking at different integrations that um, some of us have used in the past, like wrapping the cloud paging apps and delivering them with AppV, uh, using Citrix WEM, and more. And also be sure to attend the November 5th meeting because we will be discussing an opportunity to get free cloud paging training starting from November 12th. So you won't want to miss that. And I'll share a link to the events page with this episode so you can register yourself. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.